I'm, I'm excited to jump uh, into the word today. I'm speaking from the subject, hidden, hidden to be found, hidden to be found. Not, I'm not going to preach long because we have a couple things uh, that we want to do today in the service that are really special. And, um, but I, I want to I look in the scripture, and, I, and this is really my prayer today in our, in our little time together, is that Jesus would become even more real than he ever has been that he'd become more real to each and every one of us, that he would feel, uh, that it would feel more than just, it would feel like more than just a story or more than just someone that we honor on Christmas, but that really you would see the depth of the intricate plan of God to see the problems of humanity and to send a solution named Jesus to be with us and to save us from our sins. I, I want to go to the book of John and I'm going to read uh, 14 verses out of the book of John that really speak of the intricate plan of God to send Jesus from before time, throughout time, and to the birth of Jesus. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the one, the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to hear this again. And the word became flesh and came and dwelt among us. Did, did you know that actually, in a nutshell, is what Christmas is? Christmas is the word that became or put on flesh and came and dwelt among us. I, I, I don't know what kind of uh, games you grew up playing. I, when I was in youth ministry, we, we, we would play capture the flag or hide and go seek all the time. And uh, in Washington, we would go to these, these old army bunkers that were deserted and we would play capture the flag or we'd play hide and go seek or whatever. And, and uh, you would go out there and uh, the intention of the game was to not be found. You would hide in such a way, and literally, I think to this day, I actually found a place in those bunkers that I, I, I don't know if anyone else has ever found, and, uh, because I could always win. I, I, had the, I had my spot. I would climb a wall, and up on the wall, there's this little spot, and I would hide, and usually, after about an hour or so, you just finally just come out. You're like, all right, you guys lose. I can't stand there any longer. I have to eat every once in a while, but, but the intention was to hide and not be found. When, when I had kids, I realized that kids like to play hide-and-go-seek as well, but the intention is different. Now I hide to be found. This is the difference. Because, honestly, you know, if you, if you played with your best ability, you could win. But that's not good parenting, okay? Like, we got we to gotta have a different conversation if that's, that's happening. Let's go play hide-and-go-seek. You get in your car, you draw, you know, that's bad. And it's unfair. But if we're good parents, then we hide in such a way to be found. Yeah. 
I mean, you might hide in a cabinet, but you're like banging on the cabinet door every once in a while, right? You're making some noise, letting them know, hey, we're, we're over here. If you're like me and a little bit impatient, I like to have fast games of hide and go seek. Okay, I'll go hide. Oh, you found me. Awesome. Now what else can we do? Hiding with the intention to be found. Did, did you know that all throughout your Bible, you find, even in the Old Testament, you find that Jesus is hidden in the books, the verses, the stories, the parables. He is hidden in the words of your Bible from Old Testament to New Testament. But I want you to hear this. He's actually hidden to be found. That, that God didn't hide Jesus in such a way so that you would never find him. He actually hid him with the intention that you might find him. And if you pay attention in your life, you might hear the banging of a cabinet or you might see some clue in your life that makes the light bulb go on and say, wait a second, do I hear something? Do I see something? Because God hides your savior with the intention of being found. I want to take just a quick look at the scripture of places where Jesus is hidden. And it's amazing if you actually look at this because Christmas takes on a whole nother level of meaning when you realize it wasn't just the birth of Jesus, but this birth was prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. For centuries, people spoke about the coming of a Messiah, one who would come and who would forgive us or save us from ourselves, from our sins. Number one is this, Jesus is hidden in a picture. I love this about the Bible. The, the, the Bible is, is full of pictures. If you study the scriptures, if you study theology, you might call them types and shadows. These are different instances in scriptures that have a little bit of a, a, little bit of a clue, a little bit of idea that there's more than just the story. It gives us an idea or a picture of who Jesus is would be. I remember these things um, back in the day. Actually, one time for Christmas, I got a book of, it's, it's called, I think it's like Magic Eye. You, you know what these pictures are? You stare at them, and if you stare at them long enough, like you can see, you can see like something coming through the image. It took me a little while to learn it, and um, th that's a great prank to pull on somebody. It's like, yeah, you should be able to see it. You don't see it? You know, it's right there. Uh, but you can. I think we have a picture of one of them. It's like they would look like this. And you're thinking, that's just a mess of chaos. This one actually does work if it was actually like on paper and not on electronics. Hidden in that message, it actually says, some of you are really trying already. That's good. That's good. You're doing good. It says, I love you. Well, that didn't look like it right then, but if you see it right, and this was the whole concept of these drawings that hidden in the picture was a picture. Can I tell you that hidden in your Old Testament is a picture? And in every book and in every story, the picture is Jesus. That you can see him in the you can see him in the different illustrations, you can see him in different pictures in different forms. You can see Jesus. I, I love uh, one of my, one of my favorites is in the book of Exodus. Bible goes right, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible, and we see a picture of Jesus. Jesus is actually in Exodus. The Bible talks about the plague that hit the children of Israel. And if you know the, the story is that this plague was killing the firstborn of every family. Moses cries out to God and they say, go and kill a spotless lamb. And if you take the blood of that lamb and you put it on the doorpost 
of your home. When the angel of death comes, it will see the blood and pass over. I, I didn't always know what the Passover was growing up. I grew up in church, so I thought the Passover was like going to the church potluck <laughs> and passing over all of the dishes to try to get to your mom's dish, you know? It's like, you know why they call it a potluck, right? I'm saying. So I'm glad, I'm glad we don't do those anymore. We just like, see, back in the day, man, you just, after church, we would just stay and it's a potluck. Everybody brings a pot, a dish, and it's, it's good, you know, it's good luck or bad luck on what you're going to get. But, but the Passover was more than passing over. The Passover was Jesus. Listen to this. The shedding of blood of an innocent lamb that was applied to your home, that when death came, it had to pass over you. Did, did you know that when you believe in Jesus, then literally you are applying the blood of Jesus to your life and to your home, and that you will forever be with you even after this life. This is why the Bible says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because, friends, when you die and pass from this earth, we believe that we're going to be with Jesus forever. That eternal life is promised through belief in his son. Or you could say it this way, by applying the blood of Jesus. Romans says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. That's all of us. And so what that means is that we all need a Savior. So without the Passover, without this picture of Jesus, we would be dead in our sins, as Paul would say, dead in our trespasses. But because of Jesus, hidden in the book of Exodus as a picture of the Jesus that would come and that would die, that his blood would be forgiveness for our sins. Another picture, this one is, this one's wild in, in, in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, there's a story that the people of Israel were rebelling against God. Go figure. And literally snakes came out. I don't know if any, we have any snake lovers. Do we have any snake haters? That's me. I'm like, you want to see me pray? Just like talk about a snake. I'll just start praying. It says snakes were coming out and biting people. And literally people were dying because of the snake bites. Moses cries out to God. And this is the picture that God gives Moses. He says, I want you to make a serpent out of bronze. I want you to make something that looks like the snake that bit them. And I want you to put that on a cross. And if anybody is bit by the snake and they look to the cross, they will be healed. Does anybody see any parallels? <laughs> Literally, the Bible says that Jesus became a curse for us. That all our sin, our transgressions, everything we've done in our past, everything that we will do in the future was placed upon Jesus on the cross. He became sin. He became the serpent for us, and he hung on a cross, and the, tr and the truth is still remains that if you look to Jesus, you will be saved. You will be healed. So you find hidden in the Old Testament a picture of the cross to come, that these people, this is a crazy thing about the story, is some people still didn't look. Man, it, man reading the story, you just think like, what kind of people are these? You have a, sna you have a snake bite, you're going to die, all you have to do is look at the, look, and you're going to be healed. And people still refuse to look. Do you know the same thing is true today? To be saved, it's almost too easy. 
All you have to do is accept him as Lord. Look to him. Receive his sacrifice. And yet people still choose to look away. People still choose to die with snake bites that Jesus actually hung on a cross to heal us from. Friends, it's, it's really that simple. Jesus is the answer for the world's problems. He still is the hope for today. Jesus still brings salvation to the sinner and peace to the anxious. He is the answer. And this picture tells us if we would look, then we would be healed. Hidden in a picture. But not just pictures in the Old Testament. There's also so many prophecies. This is number two, hidden in prophecy. Jesus, all throughout the Old Testament, is hidden in prophecy. There's only over 360 prophecies of the Messiah that was to come, that there would be someone who would come that would save people from their sins. Now, if you look at all the messianic prophecies, all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that would speak to a Messiah that would come, there are hundreds of them. And when Jesus came, just by his life, death, and resurrection, he fulfilled 321 of them. Not, not only that, there are certain messianic prophecies that have a, a degree of detail that Jesus fulfilled that it would be impossible for any other person to fulfill. In, in fact, years ago, there was a, a mathematician, and uh, he, his name was Peter Stoner. I don't know if that's how he got this, this genius idea, but <laughs> he, he, he was trying to crunch the numbers on the probability of a Messiah being born, of someone being born and checking the box on all of these prophecies. So he dialed it down to eight prophecies. Eight, only eight of the 365. He dialed it down to eight. And he said the probability of one man fulfilling eight of those messianic prophecies was a number that I cannot pronounce to you. It's 10 to the 17th power. All right? So it's, it looks like that. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know how to say that number. Somebody probably knows how to say it. I don't know how to say that number. This is, this is that probability. So another theologian began to study the probability and what that would be like. So this is how it would compare. If you had that many, 10 to the 17th power, silver dollars, and you covered the, the entire state of Texas, and you covered it up to 12 inches deep, in silver dollars. And then you took one silver dollar and you put an X on it so that you could find it. And you threw it into the state of Texas. And then you took a man and blindfolded him and set him loose in Texas. The same probability of him grabbing the X coin is the same probability that one man could fulfill eight messianic prophecies. That's wild. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right, Pastor. That's incredible. It was prophesied that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah was to be preceded by a messenger. The Messiah was to enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. The Messiah was to be betrayed by a friend who ate with him. The Messiah was to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money was to be thrown into God's house and used for a potter's field. The Messiah was to stand silent before his accusers, and the Messiah was to die by crucifixion. Those eight prophecies Jesus fulfilled, and that probability is 10 to the 17th power that someone could do it without supernatural intervention. The wild thing to me 
is that each of those prophecies are given to us in the Old Testament. So when we talk about Christmas, we talk about Isaiah and Micah and Zechariah and all of the prophets, and we talk about them in the same sentence and the same breath that we talk about Luke and Matthew. But friends, when these prophecies were given, there was over 700 years between when the prophecies were given and when Jesus was born. Jesus was hidden all over your Old Testament. Jesus is hidden all over ancient prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 9, 714 years before Jesus was born, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah chapter 9, 700 years before Jesus was born, it's prophesied that a light was coming. We talk about Christmas now, we're like, yeah, a light. The, the, this man prophesied a light, and there was no light. He spoke about a light that was to come, but at that time there was no light. In verse 6 of chapter 9, it says, and you've heard this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to what they said he would be. This is who Jesus is, hidden in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesies this, and he does not see it in his lifetime, but it begins the movement of the intricate plan of God for the redemption of all of mankind. And 700 years later, Jesus is born, and he is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is one of our core theological chapters in the Old Testament that speak of the coming and the death of Jesus. Now, when Isaiah wrote this prophecy, they did not use crucifixion as a form of punishment. It was only until about 500 years later, 500 years later, that they begin to use crucifixion, the piercing of the hands and the piercing of the feet as a type of punishment. So listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 53. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Before crucifixion was even a form of punishment, Isaiah prophesied that a man would come and his hands and his feet would be pierced for the transgressions or the sins of his people. Friends, that was a prophecy that Jesus would die a cruel death, that he would take upon himself the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt, the condemnation, the iniquities, the transgressions, the evil of the world upon himself. That if anyone would turn to him and look to him, they would be saved. He's hidden in prophecy. The, the power of Christmas is that we don't have to be satisfied with just pictures 
or just prophecies. The, the power of Christmas is this last one, is that he is hidden in a person. That God is hidden in a person. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture today, but I want you to see this all throughout your Bible, that it all culminates, it all dovetails together in what we celebrate as Christmas. Matthew chapter 1 says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, the plan of God. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Kind of sounds like Isaiah 53, doesn't it? He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We, we don't have a God who's far off, who's unable to connect or to sympathize or empathize with our struggles or with our weaknesses. In fact, the entire meaning of Christmas is that God sent Jesus to come and to dwell among us so that he could feel what we feel, that he could go through what we go through so that he could have empathy or compassion and so that he could take on himself the punishment that each and every one of us deserve. Hidden in person. I, I love this thought in John chapter 1 verse 14. We open with this text in the message translation. It says this. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. I like, I like this because for some of us, Christmas is just, it's a thing. It's a day. We buy presents. We get through the chaos. We get through the stress. We start a new year. No, Christmas is the culmination of centuries of prophecy fulfilled in a, a virgin birth where Jesus comes and fulfills messianic prophecies and comes to be not just wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, but to also be Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. You have a God that's with you and you have a God that's for you. You have a God that is with you and you have a God that is for you. When, when, when you think about the Christmas story and the more I read it and the more I look at it, the more wild it is. The fact that all of these things came together at just that time. My, my family and I and my mom and dad, we went to see uh, The Chosen Christmas this last week. And uh, is that what it's called, Chosen Christmas? And um, how many watched The Chosen before? You've, you've watched The Chosen, some of us. I got a confession to make to you. I have never seen one episode of The Chosen. In fact, people are really shocked. They think because I'm a pastor, I like fall asleep watching The Chosen. <laughs> I, I have not seen one episode. In fact, if Jesus himself walked in these doors, I would not recognize him. The actor, the actor. I think if the real guy showed up, we'd be, I, I would recognize him. But I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen one episode. Not, not because I don't think it's good. I just grew up in church and I grew up watching Christian movies and it's like, we need to raise up some Christian producers that can like 
make good movies. All right? And so Jamie loves it. She's like, you got to watch the shows. I'm like, man, I am not watching. I don't want him to ruin my revelation of Jesus. I don't want to like, I'm, not, I'm never going to see Jesus the same when they portray him that way. And so I just, I haven't watched it. So she's been wanting to watch The Chosen Christmas. So we went and, and um, not, a, not a huge spoiler alert, but it takes a little while to get to the story. If you've seen the movie already, it's like, all right, what are, are we at a concert? What's happening? We're seeing Christmas carols. And um, it goes into the story and it begins to depict the birth of Jesus. And it's powerful as Mary, and you put yourself in the story, and you think about Mary, a virgin that gets pregnant with the Savior of the world, and all of the things beginning to align, all of the things happening for this, all the prophecies being fulfilled. And in the, mo- in, in, in the movie, she sings Mary's song. She begins to recite Mary's song. It's so powerful. I got to be honest, I was bawling. I never seen, I, I had been a hater against the chosen. And I'm in there just weeping. I'm like, I'm going to watch them all. I'm going to watch them all tonight. <laughs> Christmas break, it's on. It's chosen. Because it, it, came, it came alive. It came alive to me. And you know what my prayer is this, this Christmas season for us? Is that Jesus and his life, the, the miraculous birth of Jesus, his life, his mission, would actually come alive to us. That it wouldn't just be a nativity scene or a manger, but it would actually come to life that this was the intricate plan of God to provide salvation for me and for you. That this was, this was the, the, the incredible detail, incredibly detailed, prophetic, centuries long move of God to give to us a savior who could understand what we've gone through and what we will go through, to take the shame of our sin, to be a wonderful counselor, to be a mighty God, to be an everlasting father, and to be a prince of peace, to be Emmanuel, God with us. Growing up, uh, my, my parents, they would, um, the way they would wrap presents is we kind of got the clue of what our best present would be because it was usually actu- it was actually the smallest box. Smallest box was usually the best present because in the smallest box was usually a note, not a present. When you're young, that's always a good thing because if you can get it in a box that I can see, it's not big enough, right? The note means the box was too big to wrap, and so now I'm going to give you, my dad would do this, a treasure map or a riddle or a rhyme, and then we would try to blitz the house to find where the present was. A lot of times he would actually diagram the house and we'd have a little treasure map. And you knew that the smallest present was the best present because it had the note that led you to the actual present. I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about all of the signs that God gives us that lead to him. I mean, sometimes it's in nature. Sometimes it's just in survival. Some of you shouldn't even be in the room and you're here. Some of you shouldn't even be alive and you're alive for some reason. God has you here. It's the, it's the clues of sovereignty. It's the clues of God. It's the clues of a savior. And I always knew that the best present was the smallest present because I had history of following the clues and finding out what it was. 
And I was thinking this week that if we could have like a, a goal of today, it would be that God would stir in us a, a seeking heart. That we would start following the treasure map of his word to begin to find the revelation of who Jesus is. Not a story we recite. Not just a box we check on December 25th, but actually a person that we meet and a relationship that grows.